Broadcasting from the heartland of America in the Hoosier Media Network Studios. The next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Good evening, America, and welcome to the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. I'm Michael Austin, free market economist and guest host for tonight's thrilling ride through the landscape of liberty and prosperity. Coming to you live from the heart of America here in the Hoosier Media Network Studios, brought to you by Americans for Prosperity. Well, folks, tonight we got a lineup I think is hotter than a Kansas summer. We're diving deep into the critical issues facing our nation, from health care to regulations, taxes to corporate mandates, and we brought in some heavy hitters to break it all down for you. First up, we have Kansas Speaker of the House Dan Hawkins in the studio. He's going to be here to myth bust the talk surrounding Medicaid expansion here in the Sunflower State. You won't want to miss his insights from this contentious issue. After that, we'll be joined by brilliant libertarian slash conservative writer Hannah Cox. She'll be here to talk about why it's high time for states to rein in those burdensome regulations that always seem to stifle innovation and entrepreneurship. But then that's not all. Then we'll have Catherine Loghead from the Tax Foundation who'll be joining us to shed light on the urgent need for state income tax reform. But wait, there's more. Last but certainly not least, Scott Shepard from the Free Enterprise Project will be here to discuss the lawsuit against the SEC, which is fighting tooth and nail uh, to stop DEI mandates from strangling the life out of listed companies. It's a battle for economic freedom, my friends, and we are diving right into the trenches. So settle in and get ready for a roller coaster ride of ideas, insights, and inspiration. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier, and we are just getting started. Ladies and gentlemen, grab your popcorn because I want to dive in to the curious case. Why is it that the modern left seems so keen on making more and more Americans dependent on good old government? I mean, it's a, it's a twisted game of let's make the uh, nation reliant, but man, they are, they're, they're kind of playing for keeps here. Let's, let's start with the obvious. Government dependency is like catnip for politicians. They love it. It's almost like it's their superpower. The more people that rely on them, the more they can control the narrative, uh, the votes, and heck, maybe even the universe can all be theirs if they really want to. But it creates a huge problem. It creates a society where everyone seems to get a participation pro trophy, even though they never participate. What we're seeing here is the ultimate dream of the nanny state. Big brother isn't just watching. He also wants to pay your bills. He wants to tuck you in bed at night. He wants to sing you a lullaby. And freedom more and more is becoming more and more scarce in this country. And from you know what I'm talking about here. It, it's, it seems to be all about control. The more dependent you are on government, the less likely you are to rock the boat. I mean, after all, why bite the hand that feeds you, right? I think what we're seeing by the modern left here is a brilliant strategy. Keep them fat, keep them happy, and keep them dependent. Though, let's be honest, we're not really happy with this government control, are we? But fact of the matter is, they don't want us to question authority. They want to give handouts, they want to give welfare, they want to give uh, a complex tax code, but they never want to give us the freedom to solve our problems ourselves. I almost feel like we're on the, the, the weird episode of the Truman Show, right? <laughs> but instead of uh, dealing with a fake town, we're, we're, we're dealing with government handouts and, and endless, endless red tape. 
And then there's this whole equality thing. I mean, the left loves to preach about equality, but let's be real here. Their version of equality looks a lot like everyone has to be equally dependent on government. I mean, whereas we're talking on, let's say, taxes as an example, they like to say that they're Robin Hood, take from the rich and give to the poor. But they also want to throw in there, they want to make sure that they that everyone knows uh, who owes them a favor in return. And this dependency, and it's just not, not only is that bad for society, but it also garners more votes. Research study after research study has shown that ever since FDR, ever since the New Deal uh, in the early 1930s, the more government dependency you create, the more people are likely to vote Democrat. It has nothing to do with the what the welfare economic class that the left claims to purport, right, that low-income people uh, vote Democrat because they want to. No, those same studies show that even if you are low-income, the likelihood of you being Democrat is actually less than 50%. You would actually vote Republican. But once you get a handout from the government, once you are dependent on some sort of government program, you then have that inclination uh, to vote for that politician in order to keep that program, keep that government program. And I was talking to a friend about this the other day, and and he almost likened it as as a drug dealer of sorts. Um not to speak from personal experience, but if you ever know drug dealers, I, the first uh, product that they give you, they tell you it's free because the, 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 the goal, of course, is not to have you pay for that first one, but it's just to get you hooked. It's just to get you addicted. And once they have you addicted, they know that you will keep coming back and ask for more and more and more and more. And that's what I see is happening in this country. I believe that deep down, almost every American here has a basis, has a foundation of conservative values. They know right from wrong. They know not to spend too much. They know that there's a, an evil and ill to temptation. And I think the progressive left who want to control know that as well. And so what they want to do is give something that they call free. But it's not really free, is it? They, they'll play all types of games to, to, to claim that it's free, but it's really just being paid for by somebody else. But they know that once you are on to that particular program, once you are on to that particular handout, your conservative values go out the window because now you need the fix. Now you need more and more of that handout, more and more of that program, and you will vote and give more money to that politician so that you can kick it. So what I'm describing here, I guess, is a culture of entitlement, um, a, a culture of entitlement where hard work and personal responsibility just seem to be thrown out the window. In, in favor of those handouts, in favor of this victimhood. It's like building your house on quicksand. You know that eventually, as it keeps getting bigger and bigger, the whole thing is just going to sink. So I give you all that to say, what's the solution? Well, I think it starts with a little thing called personal responsibility. I think it's time to take back control of our lives and stop relying on the government to solve all of our problems. It's time to embrace the idea that success is not handed to you on a silver platter. Success is not handed to you even at the ballot box. It's earned through hard work, determination, and what? A healthy dose of elbow grease. So, the next time that you hear someone preaching the gospel of government dependency, just remember, there is always a better way. I think it's time to break free from those shackles of big government chart and chart your own course of success. I know this might seem controversial, 
but the American dream wasn't built on handouts. It was built on freedom. It was built on opportunity. It was built on a belief that anything is possible if you're willing to work with it. So I want to leave you to ponder that curious case of why the modern left seems so determined to make more and more Americans dependent on government. I mean, you think about Joe Biden. What is he talking about now as he approaches the election? His goal isn't to help the economy. It's to help his own reelection. And by doing that, he wants to make sure young folks are, 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 are going to vote for him. And by doing so, he wants to cancel student debt, even though the Supreme Court already told him he can't do that. This is he's not finding a loophole. No, he's pushing through regardless, because even though the Supreme Court wants to clarify that if you take out a loan, you have to pay it back. That personal responsibility that we all know is to be morally justified. Joe Biden doesn't care. He wants to make sure that people vote for him and thank him for doing these programs, whether it's the morally right thing to do or not. And it's just like what we're seeing in this conversation with uh, DEI or CRT, this belief that just because of the color of your skin, you're automatically a victim. And because you're automatically a victim, there's nothing that you can do to get yourself out of the situation. The only way is to give more of your power, more and more of your money to a politician in order to get it done. I mean, that's the society that we're living in today if we don't try to stop it. That's the, that's the game that's being played. I mean, think about it as a game, as an example. You know, instead of, instead of let's say, football, you have two teams, of course, trying to score points, uh, kick a field goal, get a touchdown, uh, point after attempt. Instead of them competing and trying to see who is the best team on the field, what we have going on here is a situation where both teams are instead jockeying the referee. Hey, ref, can you uh, throw this flag so that I can uh, move up uh, 10 yards, 15 yards? Can you throw this flag on and make this call even though it wasn't there? Imagine watching a game like that. I mean, heck, we've watched games like that in the NFL. We find that so frustrating where we see flag after flag after flag over the smallest, minute little detail because someone might be flopping or someone uh, might be making the wrong kind of a judgment. When we want a game out of merit. Here in America, we're not getting that type of game anymore, or at least it's not uh, as pervasive and, and, and as a foundation of this country as it used to be. And that's the problem with government. When it gets too big, too many players start jockeying government instead of being productive, instead of solving problems on their own, instead asking for that big brother uh, to help one out. And yes, we're seeing it here on the national level, but we're also seeing it in the states as well. I'm sure we can pick out the many different examples of of Governor Gavin Newsom uh, out in California uh, saying reparations this or reparations that or welfare this or welfare that. Uh, Heck, didn't he just propose a uh, $20 minimum wage, raising the cost of businesses so that people can feel good that they don't have the skills needed to get a job? How is that going to solve anything? It isn't, but it'll make people feel good. And by making people feel good, Gavin Newsom thinks that he can use that as leverage for his next political political endeavor, whether he runs for president or runs for something else. But it doesn't really make California better. And it's clear. Many residents of California are leaving for low-burdened, low-tax states like Florida, like Texas, or even states that are uh, middle of the road, let's say like Kansas. Um Because people are obviously voting with their feet and they obviously realize that the consequences of these types of policies is nowhere near as good as the intentions that these politicians play it out to be.
Here in Kansas, we have a very similar situation where we have a divided uh, political government. We have the Kansas legislature that is divided, that is decisively Republican, and we have a uh, Democrat governor. And while she loves to claim that she's middle of the road, my goodness, she's just as bad as the Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker. I mean, mafia, mafia, mafia. She rules the Democrats and she wants to control uh, like nobody's business. And she'll claim or lie whatever she needs to do to, to, to claim that she's a, a, a moderate. But as tonight will show, there are going to be many examples of this middle of the road governor pushing these leftist, woke, crazy policies down your throat. And she never once will ask for your permission to do it. And so uh, as we go on through our uh, talk to tonight, I'm going to speak more to this vision of liberals, more to this animosity that they seem to have towards our freedom and the dependence that they'll push um, on government. You're going to be listening to the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier here. Of course, as Michael, uh, as me, Michael Lawson, I'm the free market economist. I study this all time. My focus is, of course, on taxes, budgets, and of course, getting government limited as much as it can be. And uh, our speakers today are most certainly going to highlight that. So recap, we'll have Dan Hawkins, Kansas Speaker of the House, speaking on Medicaid expansion. Catherine Loghead of Tax Foundation will then jump on and talk about income taxes Anna Cox will talk about regulations and then we'll end it talking with Scott Shepard about DEI uh, in the stock market. You're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier and we'll be right back after these messages. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. It's America's political therapist. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back, folks. Well, I can already tell you that my uh, little screed on government dependency has already gotten some feedback here. Uh, one of the uh, comments I got from, uh, I'll just say a friend who tends to be on the center left is, you know, Michael... Why do you want to, uh, uh, why are you against people who just want to tell us, you know, what to do or want to make recommendations on how to live our lives? And that's a really good question. And I'll tell you this, what I just said in the last uh, 10 minutes or so is not a rebuttal against people who want to tell us, let's say, how the world works. It is not uh, a rebuttal against those who, uh, you know, let's say went to school, have experience or expertise and are giving their two cents about a particular aspect of our lives. By all means, you want to recommend, make that recommendation. But what I just talked about, that government dependency, that's a rebuttal against the people who want to make the decisions for us. To solve our problems, what I'm saying is that we should not listen to any politician or some sort of secular savior but instead, first and foremost, listen to our own experience. When it comes to the left, the political debate in that, uh, in that camp is, is largely which uh, alternative intellectual savior is the best. Should we listen to uh, uh, Governor, uh, Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan? Should we listen to Gavin Newsom in, in California? Should we listen to Joe Biden? Or heck, should we listen to Kamala Harris? What I'm saying is that we should stop looking for saviors on this earth, period. Society 
has existed for what, thousands of years, thousands upon thousands of years, not because there was a succession of saviors. It existed uh, because we had developed principles and institutions for people to realize their own goals and to solve their own problems. But today, leftists are not recommending what we should do. They're making decisions for us. Take schools, for example. They're not telling parents how to, let's say, educate their children when it comes to sex education. They're putting material in schools behind your back, and they're providing instructions to make sure that you don't see it. When we're talking about healthcare, leftists are not uh, saying, hey, here's another healthcare option to consider. What are they doing instead? They're, they're closing down uh, private practices. They're adding more costs. They're restricting healthcare providers. And then they're even lying to you about being able to keep your doctor. Remember that from Obama? If you like your doctor, you can keep it. Today, leftists are not saying, hey, do you want to donate to this cause or do you want to donate to this charity? Instead, they're raising your taxes. Instead, they are flamboyantly announcing that they're giving back a sliver of your money as some sort of credit or some sort of handout. But they're keeping the lion's share of your hard-earned savings for their own personal prep project or even worse, their re-election campaign. And then they make that tax code so confusing, you have no idea whether you can even call for reducing a tax burden or not. And And so the solution that I say here is more than just not listening to these leftists. We cannot let these people run our lives. We're adults for Pete's sake. And as adults, we've been running our lives for thousands of years. Getting back to that, getting back to running our own lives is not a right-wing conspiracy. It's common sense. Common sense. And tonight's discussion, I hope, will remind us how. So, folks... Uh, as we consider what's happening in our schools, as we consider what's happening in things like healthcare or taxes or, or welfare policy, I want you to have an open mind throughout this conversation today about why is it the liberals are trying to control us. So let's take a quick breather. And when we return, we will start our discussion with Kansas Speaker of the House, Dan Hawkins, diving deep into those perils of Medicaid expansion. Stay tuned and get yourself ready for an enlightening conversation with the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. We'll be right back after these messages. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Truth, reason, and common sense. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back. Welcome back to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. I'm Michael Austin, taking over for the good Andy today at the Hoosier Network Studios. Now, let's uh, jump right back into the action here. You know, before the break, I promised a juicy conversation over uh, Medicaid expansion, the uh, uh, the Obamacare healthcare uh, subsidy. And according to Kansas Governor Laura Kelly, it is the magical elixir of life. Now, of course, you might think I'm being hyperbolic, but trust me, I'm not. I mean, if you just look on X about two hours ago, Governor Laura Kelly made a a, a tweet here. Let me read it to you. Medicaid expansion is a game changer for Kansas. 
It would increase access to health care for thousands, bolster our workforce, and support our rural hospitals. It's time to prioritize Kansans' long-term well-being and expand Medicaid. Wow, does that not sound like the cure-all for everything? I mean, if you're not, uh, if Medicaid expansion is an economic development tool, then all that tells me that it has nothing to do with health care. And that's what Laura Kelly, of course, claims to be doing. And then, of course, the reality says that expanding Obamacare has done the exact opposite. Here to explain why Medicaid expansion is not the cure that it's all cracked up to be is Kansas Speaker of the House, Dan Hawkins. Mr. Speaker, it's honor to have you on the show tonight. Michael, it's uh, truly my honor. Uh, what an opening. You know, you're uh, talking about something that's uh, near and dear to my heart when it comes to stopping bad policy. So I am, uh, I am excited to talk about Medicaid expansion this evening. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Well, here on The Voice of Reason, we take great pride in giving our listeners the facts before we jump into the good, the bad, the ugly of any type of policy. So before we dive in too deeply, tell us, what is Medicaid expansion and what is Kansas's position regarding it? You know, that's uh, I'm glad you started out there because that's how I start every single speech that I give on Medicaid expansion. I start out with, the question to the group, what is Medicaid expansion? And invariably what they tell you is that is uh, expanding uh, Medicaid services to uh, the old, to disabled, to all of those people who are currently actually already on Medicaid. And, and what Medicaid expansion actually is, is expanding Medicaid to a brand new population of folks age 19 to 64, they're able-bodied people, primarily childless adults, and they have other options. They absolutely have other options. All they have to do, all they have to do is work 28 hours a week at a $10 an hour job, and they are above 100% of the poverty level, and they can get on the ACA and have virtually free health care from the federal government. Instead, they don't want to work. Those folks that are that are pushing for Medicaid expansion are people who do not want to work. So, Mr. Speaker, I just want to reiterate what you just said there. Expansion is an expansion of a of a current uh, health care subsidy, not for children, not for seniors, not for those that might be physically or developmentally disabled. It is for childless able-bodied adults between 19 and 64 years of age. People who can work, people who can get their own health care uh, through a job. These are the last people that should be on a government program. And yet here absolutely. we have talking about dependency. Is, is that right? No, that's absolutely true. You're, you're, you're spot on. Um, and, and that's the reason why I have said uh, for the last 12 years, and I've kind of been the tip of the, tip of the spear in the legislature and stopping Medicaid expansion. But for the last 12 years, I've, I've said the same thing is that these people just need to go to work. And quite frankly, today, in today's economy, there are hundreds of thousands of jobs available. Here in Kansas, there's there's probably two to one jobs per person out there that could go to work. And so why would we want them not working? We need them to work. Our governor, however, doesn't want them to work. I mean, when you put together a, a in her, her Medicaid uh, plan that she put together this year. She says, I gave the, the GOP what they wanted. I gave them a work requirement. You know what her work requirement is? 
her work requirement is, is once a year you have to certify that you have worked and got one paycheck during the year. That's her work requirement. Wow. And, and, then, and, and then in that work requirement, there's like five different uh, exemptions, with the last exemption being the greatest of all, that the Secretary of Health and Human Services can decide if a person needs a hardship um, a hardship exemption for the work requirement with no definition of what a hardship exemption even is. And so it's truly not a work requirement, and it's, it's also something that the, even the Biden administration would not allow in the Medicaid expansion waiver that they would put forth. That that sounds like a trap in every which way. Uh, come take the, the, the sweet pie of a work requirement, but you only have to work once in a year. I don't know what even unemployment statistic allows you to do that. Very few. And then here are all the different ways that you don't really even have to work. And then even if you get through all of those, Joe Biden will just deny it anyway. So, that's true. oh, my goodness, that's it just sounds like a massive trap. Well, let's let's shift gears a little bit here. I know that advocates of expansion claim this program is affordable uh, for state budgets because they say the federal government covers most of the costs. But I personally always chuckle when I hear that because I'm, I say to myself, I'm pretty sure Americans are both state and federal taxpayers. So it, it doesn't really matter which government's paying for it because we pay either government. Um, am I right in thinking this is not proof? that Medicaid expansion is fiscally sustainable? Oh, it's not sustainable. Matter of fact, um, e- even, even the, the federal the, or, or federal legislators in the, in the House, the U.S. House and the Senate, uh, their, their budgeting people are saying we cannot keep this up. Um, you know, this 90-10 match is just massive, and the, and the amount of dollars that is being required by the federal government, and even state governments, you know, state governments, one of the first state red states to to uh, expand Medicaid almost 10 years ago now, I think it's been nine years, a little over nine years, was Indiana. Uh, Mike Pence was the governor when they expanded. And this year, they're a billion, one billion with a B, one billion dollars in the hole on their Medicaid program, primarily because of Medicaid expansion. All of those people that have come on it. And here's, the, and here's the sad part about this story, and, and this is truly the sad part that's going to happen across the nation. You just watch. It's just happening in Indiana first. So when they decided, okay, we've got to, we've got to cover this hole. We've got to figure out what we're going to do. Uh, the Speaker of the House was just beside himself. How are we going to cover a billion-dollar shortfall in Medicaid? What did they do? They cut services to the people who have always had Medicaid, not Medicaid expansion, folks. But to the people Medicaid was meant for, the, the, the disabled, and, and it's actually the disabled and the people who take care of the disabled are going to have their Medicaid cut. And so, and so we've been saying that for a long time, that, 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 that when this all finally starts unraveling, and it is now, it's starting to unravel, that you're going to see the cuts come and not to the able-bodied newcomers to the system, but to the people that Medicaid was actually meant for, and that's the disabled and the frail and elderly. And that's the sad part of this whole story. And it's just now starting. You know, they've said, that the, the advocates have said for quite a while, they said, well, why has nobody stopped it? If it's so bad, why are these states not stopping it? It's because have you ever tried to stop a, an entitlement program? Once it starts, you can't stop it, because if you try to stop it, the, the, the gnashing of the teeth and the and, and the – and the, the discontent that will take place will just stop 
you know, politically stop that from being stopped. It can't be stopped. Oh, yeah. Once it's there, it's there. And now I also, uh, I also heard, I also heard that uh, there was a U.S. Supreme Court case, maybe, maybe, maybe 10 or so years ago, where a state tried to, um, pull out of Medicaid expansion. But the way that the law was written, once you expand Medicaid, you, you can't check out. It's, it's, it's a hotel California of sorts. Once you try to back out of the program, everyone in that Medicaid program is now vulnerable of no longer getting the funds or resources that they need. So while you okay. might try to you know, pull out those able-bodied uh, childless adults, now you're risking funding to those who need it, like the developmentally disabled. Is that right? Oh, yeah, that is absolutely correct. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, it's like virtually anything. If you were trying to stop, um, any, uh, entitlement program, but let's say snap, for instance, we've snap, uh, is for, for those who don't know what it is, it's, it's the food assistance program, um, that the federal government pays for and, and the states administer for the federal government. Uh, if you were, when you, if you were to try to stop that, it gets really nasty. Now we have we have curtailed it. We've 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 done some things to slow down SNAP in in Kansas, and we put a very aggressive work requirement on SNAP. And what's interesting is when we did that, SNAP benefit started. People decided that hey, we're not going to fight it. We're just going back to work. And when they went back to mm. work, of course, they didn't need SNAP anymore. What a concept! Same thing with Medicaid expansion. We need people to work. And truly, if they will go to work. They have health care. They have options. You know, I was thinking of uh, a quote from economist Thomas Sowell. He says something along the lines of, it's amazing that people who think we cannot afford to pay for doctors, hospitals, and medication somehow think we can afford to pay for doctors, hospitals, and medication and a government bureaucracy uh, to administer it. You know, um, we have we have one minute left. So, Mr. Speaker, are there any other consequences to this level of dependency that that we're speaking about anything else that you've noticed about a tragic unintended consequence to Medicaid expansion? Yeah. One of the biggest ones, and this is one that's not talked about very much is as medication, Medicaid expansion is expanded across the States, those States who expand, if you watch their, their, their uh, workforce participation rate goes down, meaning people Ooh. are not going to work. They don't have to anymore. Good to hear. Mr. Speaker, can you stay on? I want to talk about solutions to expansion. Is that okay? Sure. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. Well, folks, you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. We'll be right back after these messages. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Where Hoosier Holics gather every week. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back to the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. I'm Michael Austin, and I have with me here Kansas Speaker of the House Dan Hawkins talking Medicaid expansion. Now, I apologize, Mr. Speaker, on coming up on that commercial break. By all means, I'd, I'd love for you to finish your response there. Tell me, what other unintended consequences have you noticed, have you seen from states expanding Medicaid? Well, the, the pro- probably the biggest one is just the, the shortfall that happens in every state. Every state that expanded uh, has thought they had a certain number that was going to 
um, was going to uh, enroll in their Medicaid expansion, and, and invariably about they were about 95% on average off on that. Uh, most of them pretty high, about 40% over uh, on the cost portion of what Medicaid expansion was going to cost them, and so it becomes a, a real boondoggle. I, I remember back when when uh, Ohio came in. Uh, the second year that Ohio was in, they were like $5.4 billion in the hole on Medicaid expansion. Wow. And so it, it happens with every single state. And quite frankly, we don't have that kind of money in Kansas to uh, play with. So uh, I know our governor thinks we do, but we certainly don't. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, let's let's try to shift gears a little bit here. Um, I know that you uh, and the Kansas House have been taking some great steps um, to provide health care affordability, to provide health care access, you know, all without going down the path of Medicaid expansion. Um, yeah. What examples can, can you provide us about some successful alternatives you were able to put in place? So one of the uh, one of the things that the governor always says and most of the advocates say is that Medicaid expansion is going to save rural hospitals. And it just isn't. It doesn't matter what state has expanded. If you're an expansion state versus a non-expansion state, you're just as likely to have rural hospitals closed because it has nothing to do with Medicaid expansion. It actually has to do with the fact that there's just not enough people to take advantage of the services of a hospital, and so the hospital has a hard time making it. Medicaid expansion doesn't change that because if the people aren't there, they aren't getting paid. That's just the way a hospital system works. And so for us, we looked at it and we said, listen, we can do more with the dollars that we have available for rural health care by raising, getting the, the reimbursement rates for Medicaid for hospitals up. What we mm. did when we, when we started looking at that, we found out that our Medicaid rates were woefully uh, inadequate, uh, sometimes as much as 90% less than what Medicare pays. And so this year, we're putting thir- the House has uh, proposed putting a 30% increase for all of the outpatient services that a hospital has, and also putting uh, a 15% increase in for, for, for doctors. Quite frankly, most doctors don't want to take Medicaid because it doesn't pay anything. Here in Kansas, it pays about $25 for a visit. Well, how many visits do you want? Well, you can go broke doing that business. <laughs> and so, yes. And so we're... We put, uh, actually the number is we put $33.9 million into uh, services for the, the physicians and $45.2 million uh, uh, all funds in for hospitals. And so it's a significant increase. Uh, what's interesting, though, is the hospitals still want Medicaid expansion. You know, even though, even though we've said, listen, this is going to help you much more, they're still screaming about Medicaid expansion. They want it so bad. And uh, for those who are currently on the Medicaid waiting list, are, you, are, are we able to do anything for them? Oh, we are. That's the other thing is uh, here in Kansas, we've had a waiting list for the uh, uh, physically disabled and the intellectually and developmentally disabled. We call it the IDD and the PD waiting list. And, and, and that list has gotten quite large during uh, uh, this governor's tenure. Governor Kelly, who is, who is so concerned about Medicaid expansion, is not so concerned about the IDD waitlist that has now ballooned to over six thousand during her tenure, we've yeah, been wow. we've been real yeah we've been really pushing her to put money towards um, reducing that IDD waitlist and Good. and quite frankly she didn't she hasn't until we finally said okay if you're not going to put it in your budget we're going to go on ahead and do something this year 
when she found out that the legislature was going to do something, she jumped in with a with a governor's budget amendment uh, just to try to take advantage and get in front of what we're doing. Well done. Well, Mr. Speaker, you have my sincerest thank you and appreciation for sharing your insight and, and expertise on Medicaid expansion. I would love to have you back again. Good. Love to. Perfect, perfect. Well, if you want to learn more about the lies of Medicaid expansion, by all means, go to AFP Kansas website at www.medicaidmythskansas.com. There we have an article called 10 Reasons Not to Expand Medicaid Under Obamacare. Coming up after the break, Hannah Cox of Based Politics will sign on and reveal why states should take the lead in reining in regulations. You're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. We'll be right back. 